We're continuing this theme of a very Hebrews Christmas. So all throughout the month of December, we're looking at different passages in the book of Hebrews to help us understand the meaning of Christmas. The truth is, most of us know the story. Uh, we'll be reminded of it if we haven't already throughout the Christmas season of how, of course, Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem. But what we're trying to do in this series is take a little bit of a glimpse behind the scenes, as it were. To understand why God had to come in the flesh, the meaning of that, the ramifications. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 4, helps us to recognize the role of Jesus in bringing us into the presence of God. So follow with me as I read, starting at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we lift our hearts to echo the message of the angels. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with whom men, with whom he is pleased. So, Father, I pray this morning that as we open our hearts to sing your praise, you would let the truth of Jesus as our mediator, our high priest, take deep root in our hearts. And Father, I pray that as we are often at times where we are tempted to give up and don't know what to do in the midst of our struggles and the stress of life, I pray that you would help us to remember the truths that we just read and to seek to be obedient. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may have seen on the news or heard on radio broadcast the strange situation that a family in South Africa found themselves in. It was the Wild family living in South Africa, and they had picked up their Christmas tree from the Christmas tree farm, brought it in, decorated the tree. Just a beautiful, almost picturesque Christmas. But a few hours later, the wife noticed something a little bit odd. There are three cats were sitting in front of the tree, staring and not moving. This piqued her curiosity. She made her way to the tree and gently began looking to see what they could be staring at. That's when she noticed one of the branches move. There was a snake 
in their tree. She backed away quickly. And what I understand called for her husband to come and take a look at it. He peeked gently in, did a quick Google search, and became even more afraid. Because it looked like that this snake was the boomslang snake. Now, if you look up the ten most deadliest snakes in the world, the boomslang comes in at around number five. So this was not only a snake, it's one of the most venomous snakes in the world. Obviously, they stepped back. What do you do? Is there a snakes be gone? I don't know. They called a reptile expert who lived two hours away, described the snake, and he uttered these words. Keep an eye on it, but don't go near it. You would not have to tell me those two words. He said, I will be there as soon as I can. When he arrived, he captured the snake. And released it into the wild. I couldn't imagine that. What do you do when you really can't do anything? I mean, here is this, this problem. It's clear, it's evident, it's moving. But you certainly can't correct it yourself. You're not going to attempt to. You wouldn't know where to start. Now, what the wild family faced is in some ways very, very apropos to our struggles you see we face a situation where we've got some trouble some issues that we can't fix we need an outside agency to come in and fix these for us and our specific problem is in our relationship with God I didn't read the text this morning I probably should have but I want you to look back into chapter 4 because it's in verses 11 through 13 that our problem is really identified Verse 11 is this command, strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, remember, Hebrews was a sermon preached to Christians that were tempted to turn their back on the faith. They were being persecuted for following Christ. So the temptation was, if following Jesus is going to cost me everything, I'm not willing to pay that price, so I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. So the preacher in Hebrews wants to remind us that Jesus is superior to everything you could imagine. So don't fall short. Don't fail to enter the rest that God has promised. Now verses 12 and 13 really reveal the problem a little bit more. The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. That word sword could also be translated scalpel. It's the same word. same word has been found in ancient medical uh, dictionaries. The word of God is like a scalpel. What does it do? Pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is like a surgeon's scalpel that peers into our souls. It's like an, an x-ray that reveals the darkest hidden parts of our hearts. In verse 13, no creature's hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's what we can't fix on our own. The Word of God lays our souls bare. Our thoughts are judged by the Word of God. Can any of us say that we've always thought the way we're supposed to think? 
that we've always thought the best in godly thoughts. Can any of us say that? Our attitudes are judged by God's Word. Are our attitudes what they are always supposed to be in front of God? When you're trying to drive down State of Franklin to get home in time for dinner and it's bumper to bumper as much as bumper to bumper can be in Johnson City. Is your attitude always, we wish you a Merry Christmas? The Word of God lays our attitudes open. Our actions. Do we always do what we're supposed to do? Love your enemy as yourself. The Word of God exposes us. And the question is, what can we do about that? One of my most embarrassing experiences of my life thus far occurred when I was a sophomore in high school. It was the spring of my sophomore year. I was in Coach Mullinax's health class. We were studying first aid, and we were at the part of first aid where we were learning how to administer the Heimlich maneuver. It's a maneuver when someone is choking, and you get behind them, and you give some thrust to the diaphragm to force air up through the airway to dislodge whatever is in the trachea. And Coach Mullinax, our head football coach, had walked us through that, but decided that there needed to be a live demonstration of what would happen when you performed the Heimlich. So he called me in front of the class. It was spring of the year. In spring, I'm always blessed with allergies. Stopped up nose, the whole works. Coach Mullinax says, Herod, get up here. He gets behind me, and being the football coach, there's nothing halfway about Coach Mullinax. He gets behind me, and he thrusts into my diaphragm. And I want to tell you something. The Heimlich Maneuver works. Because as that air comes up, it would not only dislodge anything that would be in your throat, anything in your sinuses is forced out also. So I'm a sophomore in high school standing in front of a class of 20 of my peers with snot going everywhere. All the coach says is, you can go into the bathroom now, Herod. There's no hiding that. There's no way I could get around. They saw it. Such is the word of God to our lives. It reveals what is inside of us. So how do we fix that? That's why the next verse is so encouraging. Since then, okay, Lord, we're, we're exposed before you. Our sin is laid bare. But now, here's the good news. You have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So in that moment where we feel hopeless because we can't fix ourselves, there are two commands that are given. The first command is there in verse 14. Let us hold fast to our confession. Don't give up. Cling to it. Like a soldier clinging to a life raft in the Pacific, don't let go of the confession of faith that you have made. Now, here, the confession that we are to hold on to is not defined. We get hints of it through the book of Hebrews. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus as the sacrifice. It is saying this content of belief, that as a believer, you publicly confess, this is what I believe. Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, three days later rose again from the dead, and is one day coming back to judge the quick and the dead. Can I get an amen? 
He's saying in the midst of your trials and your struggles with sin, don't turn your back on that confession. See, now the thing is, many of us wouldn't turn our back on it willingly as if we would say, I no longer believe that. But often we turn our back very gradually and slowly by becoming apathetic about the faith. Attending church and being with other believers becomes optional to us. Reading the scripture, I just don't know if I feel like that today. So slowly, slowly, the spark of faith begins to die within our hearts. And that which which once warmed us about the love of God, warmed us, made our hearts feel ablaze with his glory, now has waned into an ember. And here, the author of Hebrews is saying, don't let that happen. Hold to your confession. Don't turn your back. I ask you this morning, what would tempt you to turn your back on the confession of Jesus Christ? Trials? The truth is, all of us will experience those moments where life does not go as we think it ought to go. Every one of us. You will find yourself at some point saying, I never imagined my life would be like this. At that moment, will you turn your back on your confession? What about the philosophical problems? How could a good God allow evil? There are many who have turned their back on the confession because they cannot understand that. And because they can't understand it, they believe that somehow God is faulty. I would encourage you, hold fast the trials of life do not change who Jesus is one bit the struggles of life and the big questions do not change what he accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection one bit but sometimes there's a choice that we must make that says life is hard it has not worked out how I thought but nevertheless Jesus is still Lord One of the most beautiful pieces of music maybe ever written. And I know that's a large, grandiose statement to make. But Handel's Messiah would have to be in the top three. The Hallelujah Chorus. Our Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need to get the staff up here to sing that. I would have a special microphone like Barney Fife. When Handel wrote those magnificent truths, he wasn't in some ivory tower insulated from life. About a year before he wrote that, Handel had suffered a stroke. He was paralyzed on his left side. Hallelujah, our Lord God omnipotent reigneth. When Handel wrote the Messiah, he was broke. He was being threatened with debtor's prison. Life was not good for George Frederick Handel at that moment. Hallelujah. Our Lord God omnipotent reigneth. There comes a point where you have to say, I will hold fast to the confession because it is true. Now, there are moments that that's hard, as I've already said. That's why we need to take into mind the second command. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. First command, hold fast. Second command, 
Come near to the throne of God with confidence to draw near. Now think for a moment how amazing that statement is. You and I can draw near to the throne of God and find grace and mercy. That's prayer. It's an open invitation. Think about how amazing that is. How much luck do you think you would have right now if you wanted to reach the President of the United States by phone and have a conversation? Now, I'm not talking about what you would say to him. I'm just talking about trying to reach him. 20 years ago, a 16-year-old living in Norway, a young man by the name of Virfil Atlason, decided he was going to call President George W. Bush. Developed a plan, a scheme, researched, found phone numbers, called and claimed to be the president of Iceland that needed to speak with President Bush. My understanding is he made it through three layers of security before he was finally cut off. By the way, three hours later, police showed up at his house. Couldn't get directly to the president. You and I have a direct access to God. And that direct access is also an invitation to express our thoughts and our feelings openly. Once again, that with confidence speaks of a boldness to say things in the presence of God. It's almost as if, in the, to use a military illustration, that we are standing in the presence of God and we look at him and say, permission to speak freely. And he says, permission granted. The Lord knows our hearts. And this is that invitation to speak clearly to him to say, Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm happy. Lord, I'm angry. Lord, I'm joyous. Because in the speaking, there is power and healing that takes place. Why? Because we are laying our hearts bare before God. Now, I recognize that these two commands are easier said than done. We are called to hold fast. There are times where our, our grip is weak. If we are called to pray, quite frankly, there are times in our Christian life where we won't feel like praying, where we, we, we know we need to, but the words won't come. Now, if we stop with the commands, we are setting ourselves up for failure. You and I don't have the strength to do these things. And there's a freedom in saying that. Because if I live with the pressure that I've got to hold on and that I've got to pray perfectly, I will fail and the weight of those expectations will pull me down and be more burdensome than I can bear. That's why these commands are not based on our ability to do them. These commands are based upon Jesus, who he is and what he has done. So don't despair if you feel like I'm struggling. Look to the one who is enabling us. Since then, we have a great high priest. There are three things about Jesus that are highlighted in this passage. Three things that enable us to hold on and to call out with confidence. The first is this. He is, look at the, the adjective, a great high priest. Not a mediocre. Not an above average. He is great. No other priest is like him. It's one of the reasons I wanted to begin in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5 also. This passage is just an introduction to the theme that the preacher of Hebrews is going to pick up for about the next three chapters of how Jesus is the great high priest. But just to, to whet your appetite just a little bit, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Every high priest, now that's speaking on an earthly level. Now remember, a priest represents humanity before God. 
Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now that's on an earthly level. Jesus is greater. Now, the preacher of Hebrews will go into more detail in this. But I can't help myself. What sacrifices did the earthly priest bring in to offer on behalf of sins? The blood of bulls and goats? Those can't remove sin. If anything, they're a promissory note on the sacrifice that will be given one day. So he's laying the groundwork here that Jesus is greater. Why? Because he offers a greater sacrifice. What is the sacrifice that Jesus brings? It is himself. He says, I am the Lamb of God who has given my life for the sins of the world. I have paid the price. So Jesus is a greater high priest because his sacrifice actually removes sin. Verse 3 highlights this. Because of this, this is a reference to verse 2 where it says that the earthly high priest can be sympathetic towards sinners because he is beset with weaknesses. But because of this, this earthly high priest is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. In other words, the earthly priest has to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. Jesus didn't. His sacrifice was for us, not for himself, for he was sinless. He is the greatest high priest because of his character. He was sinless and his work that has secured salvation for all who believe. He's also greater because, look at verse 14, he has passed through the heavens. This is a way of saying that Jesus is in the very presence of of God. For the earthly priest, once sacrifices were made, on the Day of Atonement, he would have to pass through the holy place into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain to pour the sacrifice out on the mercy seat. When it says that Jesus has passed through the heavens, it's a way of saying he has passed through all the outer realms of God's court. And he's in the very presence of God. And because he is there, Guess what? We find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Because he has gone through the heavens, he is interceding for us, and that's what makes verse 16 possible. You and I do not draw near to God based upon our own righteousness. We draw near based upon the righteousness of Jesus and as he intercedes for us. It's glorious good news to know you and I have someone on our side standing before the Father on our behalf. In the past five years, needless to say, our life and taking my, mine and my wife's life and taking care of Emma has been full of ups and downs and challenges. Consistently, one of the greatest challenges has been dealing with insurance and health equipment companies. I heard a moan somewhere was empathizing. This past week, we had a little bit of a crisis. One piece of equipment that is crucial to the care of Emma is a suction machine, a bedside suction machine that we use to suction her trach, to keep her lungs clear. We've had this one for several years, and progressively, we'd started having issues with the on and off switch. It had gotten to the point where we turned it on, it wouldn't come on, and we'd have to whack the switch a little bit to get it to work. 
So we'd place the call. Okay, we need to replace this. This is what's happening. And we were informed that through the insurance, this machine was now ours, and we could not receive a new one until 2023. But it's broken. I'm sorry to hear that. That is your machine. You have it till 2023. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We tried to work, got a loaner, but it wasn't strong enough to really pull pal's teeth through a straw. So we kind of got, okay, Lord, what do we need to do? So we gave a call to a caseworker that has worked and helped us tremendously with Emma's lungs. This caseworker says, that's not acceptable. And we said, amen. She said, I'm going to place a call. I'm going to give a call to one of the vice presidents of the company that owns that equipment. I'll call you back in about 15 minutes. We'll be waiting. She calls back and 15 minutes later and says, you will have a brand new suction machine delivered in one hour. For our Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Now understand what took place. We were powerless, honestly. It was like all we kept getting is, that machine's yours, good luck. But then when somebody knew a higher up, things started to happen. Church, we have Jesus on our side in front of the Heavenly Father. How much higher up can you get? He is on our side representing us. So therefore, we can go with confidence, not based on, Lord, I'm confident that I've been good enough. I'm confident that I'm going to say the right thing. But Lord, I come to you because I'm confident in Jesus Christ. That's how we can do that. It's based on him and what he has done. And that is why at the end of verse 16 he says, you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our greatest need. Mercy and grace right when we need it. We know that we can receive that. Why? Look at verse, the final part of verse 14. Jesus, the Son of God. That title reminds us that Jesus was both divine and human. That's the basis for keeping the command in verse 15. I'm sorry, in verse 14. What happens if our grip is weak? Jesus sympathizes. He doesn't cast us off saying, well, you should have been strong enough to hold on. He holds on to us. Why? He is fully God and fully man. He can sympathize. Look down to chapter 5, verse 2. It says that the earthly priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Why? He himself is beset with weakness. Jesus is the greater high priest. Look back to verse 15. He is able to sympathize. Why? He has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He can empathize. He knows the struggle. He knows the weight of temptation. Temptation itself is not sin. You say, well, how can Jesus say, how can it say that he's been tempted as we are? I mean, after all, he didn't have the internet then. How is Jesus tempted like me in this way? The base of every temptation is this. Will you trust God? That's the bottom line question. Every temptation. If you're tempted to dwell in anger and to lash out, the question is, will you trust God to, to deal with the situation? When we are tempted to covet and say, Lord, I want more and more. The bottom line is, will we trust God to provide what we need? 
and we're tempted to sexual impurity. The bottom line question is, will we trust God that he has something better than what we're being tempted with? You see, the bottom line of every temptation is, will you trust God? Jesus knows that. When Satan said, turn these stones into bread, the question before Jesus was, will you trust your heavenly Father or will you turn the stones to bread? When he was tempted, throw yourself off this tower and let the angels catch you to prove that you are the Son of God. The bottom line question was, Jesus, will you trust God and his path for demonstrating your identity or will you resort to to magic shows? Jesus has been tempted as we are. Will you trust God or not? And he was without sin. So in that moment of struggle, Jesus says, I understand. I sympathize with you. Athanasius was an early church father from the 300s, early 300s. I'm sorry, the mid to late 300s. He wrote about the incarnation. And he was answering this question. People were asking, well, why didn't Jesus come and give this huge show? Why didn't he come uh, to put on a display? Athanasius wrote, some ask, why didn't he manifest himself by means of other and more nobler parts of creation, such as sun or moon or stars or fire or air instead of a mere man? Athanasius answers, the Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal and to teach suffering people. For one who wanted to make a display, the thing would have been to just appear and dazzle the beholders. But for him who came to heal and to teach, the way was not merely to dwell here, but to put himself at the disposal of those who needed him. That's why Jesus came in the flesh, to heal. And in the words of the old spiritual, if ever we needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. If you're at that point where you're feeling overwhelmed, you have two commands here. Hold fast, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. But remember, it is our Lord Jesus who is with you, enabling you, representing you, and sustaining you to do these things. So fear not, nor give in to despair. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. just a few moments as we begin to sing I want you to know the altar is open if you would like to come and to kneel and pray maybe maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with life and the Holy Spirit is just tugging at you this morning the Holy Spirit has reminded you you can cry it out to God He doesn't condemn He doesn't point fingers for others it may be the honest confession that you know what my faith is wavering it's not that you're thinking about rejecting Christianity but your faith is wavering because there's no passion you find yourself going through the motions the hard truth is you've become content with that this morning it may be the Holy Spirit calling you to hold fast to your confession So I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then we will stand and begin singing. And as I said, if you need to respond, come forward. Lord, thank you for Jesus.
the great high priest. For we know that it is by His mercy, by His grace, that we are able to hold fast and come before you with confidence. Lord, thank you for these great gifts. Let Jesus be lifted high and our lives reflect Him to your glory. In His name, amen.